Thank you. The uh, text today is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. And I'll be talking about weakness. And uh, when I refer to weakness here, I am thinking of it in terms of the way I think scripture means it as being a positive thing, uh, though something we don't like and wish we could get rid of. But I'm thinking of it in terms of a state of dependency on God because we don't have the strength or the resources to cope, much less shine and prevail. First uh, Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. So there's a lot there in that passage, but I'm focusing in on God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the wise, uh, to shame the things which are strong. And the first example that I want to go to, uh, there's a number in scripture really that we could look at, and I'll, I'll go over some of those briefly, but I want to focus mainly on Jesus. Uh, when we think of Jesus, we don't necessarily think of weakness. We think of strength. We think of his power. And yet uh, his life, uh, his becoming a man is really shouting weakness in many ways. Uh, you know, we just finished the Christmas holiday. Well, we think about Jesus becoming flesh and we think about him coming as a little baby and coming out of the womb and being handed around by people. And here is the son of God and son of man, uh, two natures joined in this one person. And he's being handed about by people he has to be set down in the manger. He has to be clothed. He can't clothe himself. He has to um, very likely be burped. Uh, he has to have his diapers changed. He has to be fed um, as he becomes a, a, a little toddler. He still can't reach things. People have to reach things for him. Uh, he would have to be uh, helped in, in picking up heavy things that are too uh, heavy for him to pick up. And so throughout his childhood, uh, just be, being a man, period, as a creature, not even a sinner, but a creature, because he's, of course, not a sinner, but he hungers like a real man. He thirsts like a real man. He's weary and tired. He's so exhausted at one point that he's asleep in the middle of a storm. Um, you know, Jesus is a real man, not a pretend man. Uh, I used to think of Jesus as like if he were to, you know, pull open the, you know, if he had a button up shirt and he pulled back the, the buttons and opened them up, you'd see an S on the inside, be Superman. Um, so he's just pretending, you know, he's like Clark Kent. He's just pretending to be a man. Really, he's Superman. But the the teaching of scripture is not that. This The fact of the matter is he was clothed in weakness of human flesh and the divine nature of Jesus did not swallow up and render uh, null and void his human nature. Um, the 
divine nature didn't uh, step in and make his human nature of no account. Um, rather, what we see is Jesus becoming a man and then living in the flesh, uh, the human flesh, physical body, and the weaknesses that are there, even, even without sin, and being absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit for power, and walking in that state of dependency throughout his life. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief his entire life in one sense, is a life of suffering, and the scripture equates suffering in our lives with weakness. There's a strong connection between the two. Um, sufferings make us weak. They make us dependent, whether they be physical or they be by the nature of persecution or adversaries or whatever, and Jesus had his share of adversaries uh, for sure. Um, he was in Gethsemane at a profoundly weak state. Uh, he was, uh, his sweat became like drops of blood. He was in agony. An angel had to be sent to strengthen him because he simply could not go on. Um, apart from that angel being sent to strengthen him, he was almost dead already because the sorrows uh, were so heavy and so burdensome. He said he was sorrowful to the point of death. Um, he had a depression that he was experiencing there that was without sin, that is just the, uh, the heavy anticipation of what was coming. And then, of course, the cross um, being uh, the sufferings leading up to it, being arrested, being blindfolded and slapped and spit upon and having people hit you over the head with a reed and stick a staff in your hand and mock you and tell you to prophesy and putting a crown of thorns on you. Um, scourging him. Many people died just from scourging, and he was scourged. He was so weak, he could not carry the cross they put on him, and so they had to press Simon of Cyrene into service because Jesus was so weak already. And then on the cross, of course, he is um, bleeding and groaning and crying out and thirsting and forsaken of God. Um, because he had become sin and um, adversaries as bystanders coming by and mocking him and the thief, one of the thieves uh, mocking him. And so Jesus experienced profound weakness and uh, he, the, the strength that we see in him and the miracles the resurrections, the calming of the storm, those are in one sense uh, the exception to the rule. Um, the, the gospels focus in on his ministry and those that concentrated period of three years. And yet there was enough weakness still about him that people, many people just thought he was a man. Is this not the son of Joseph uh, whose father and mother we know? And are not his brothers and sisters there? And we, we know who he is and where he came from. Um, so weakness all, all over the place with Jesus. Uh, Moses was weak uh, when he's making excuses about not being able to talk well and why God shouldn't send him. He's not lying. He's not trying to deceive God and make God think that he's weak in his speech when in reality he's strong. 
and it's some sort of false humility. He, he really is weak as a speaker, and yet God chose him uh, to lead his people, and Moses did not feel at all qualified to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Um, choosing of Israel as a nation in Deuteronomy 7, 7, it says, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples. That's why he chose Israel because they're the weakest, not the strongest. Uh, we're well familiar with Gideon as a, an example of this. Gideon is hiding in the wine press from the Midianites when God appears and, and wants to call him to lead the army of Israel. And his reply is, oh, Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. And then when he is to gather an army, there's 32,000 that show up. But what does God then say? Uh, in, in Judges 7, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel will become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. So God will oftentimes make weak people even weaker until they're weak enough that he is ready to use them. So then all those who are fearful from the, the 32,000 are sent home, and that leaves 10,000. And God says, no, that's still too many. And so finally, that's reduced to 300. And that's finally small enough and weak enough for God to work. In the case of Paul, um, Paul says of himself, and again, this is not false humility. So I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Um, I'm the chief of sinners because of what I did. This is not false humility. Paul is saying about himself that he is a, a weak choice. Um, and in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, because he was allowed up to the third heaven to see and hear things that most everybody else doesn't get to see or hear. He says there in 2 Corinthians 12, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Mm. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see the connection between weakness and insults, distresses, persecutions, and difficulties. Uh, Paul did not like weakness. That was not his, his first response to weakness was not, this is great. He wanted to get rid of it. This thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan that was tormenting him. And yet when he understood how this all works and how power is perfected in weakness, 
he became content with the things that he wanted to get rid of and was begging that God remove. Second Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Which either means that he it was like the suffering was so heavy that he would just rather die. He despaired of life or that he just didn't think he was going to live. It was so bad. Then he says, indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So God chooses the weak to shame the strong, and he chooses weakness in which to work. And he does so because he doesn't want any false narratives circulating that would suggest that the strength lies in men. He's not interested in glorifying men. He's interested in glorifying himself. And it's not because he's egotistical or a narcissist. It's because he just happens to be the source of everything that is good and glorious. And so to glorify anyone else but himself is a lie. And it's flattering people who don't deserve the credit. And so he deserves the credit. He just happens to be the one who is everything. And so he's looking for weak people to glorify himself through. And if they're not weak enough, he'll make them weaker. And the application for us is simple, uh, personally and with respect to revival. Number one, don't expect God to work alongside your strength. Don't expect to be strong in yourself and have God magnify his strength alongside your strength. Don't despise weakness. Don't despise your own weakness and wish to be free of it. Don't begrudge the thorn in the flesh. God gave it to you on purpose to weaken you so that you would boast in your weakness and not in your strength. And in your weakness, God is strong. Don't expect to be a follower of Christ who voluntarily chose to be weak in so many ways. He was the son of God with infinite power, and he chose to dwell in weakness. Um, don't expect to follow that Savior while at the same time despising weakness and trying to be strong in self. With respect to revival, let's um, not think that revival can't happen and can't come because we are so weak, because our churches are so weak, and because our nations are so weak. Uh, they are profoundly weak. Um, there is no strength in us. There's no strength in our churches. There's no strength in our countries that we're coming from, spiritually speaking. But weakness is his opportunity to be glorified. And we, we are in a position where he has great opportunity 
because of our profound weakness. So may he be glorified in the weakness that he sees in us. May he choose to demonstrate his strength and power in our midst because we are so weak.